Good to see you guys. My name is Nate Wagner. I'm one of the pastors here at Portico. Welcome. I'm really glad you're here. Galatians. Got to learn the timing to the new title package. I love it. Thank you to Evan Jarvey. He's put those together for as long as I can remember, um, and just very grateful for that. Um, yeah, I'm a little scared. Galatians has started denominations. Galatians has disrupted the entire course of history in the Reformation. You can't actually live life in this world apart from the impact that the book of Galatians has had. Tim Keller describes it as a bomb. So I don't know what's going to happen. I don't get to say what happens. The Spirit of God has worked through this book. All I can tell you is my hope for us is that God uses his word, especially as we look in Galatians, to renew us. So if we go back to the beginning of the year, we spent some time in Exodus looking at the Ten Commandments, the law of God coming to his people. And part of how God has used his law and continues to use his law is as a way of priming his people to receive the gospel. And when his people receive the gospel, the world changes. And so my hope for us is that we are ready and hungry and thirsty to receive the gospel. Because the main idea of the book of Galatians is that for people who have received the gospel, they receive not information, but power. Power that sets them free. Power that delivers them from slavery and bondage to sin and death and delivers them to the kingdom of God, to fullness of life, to joy, to peace, to love, and to God himself. So let's read what we're going to handle today, um, and then let's pray. So this is Galatians, it's the beginning of Galatians. Galatians 1, we're just going to look at verses 1 through 5 this morning as an introduction. Galatians is um, towards the back of the Bible. It's the beginning of Paul's epistles um, that come after Corinthians. So first and second Corinthians, Galatians is the first one in the chain of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and etc. I can't remember the rest. They're in there. Chris Cupid taught us something. Um, General Electric Power Company, I think, was it. So I remember that. Um, anyways, you can also pull it up on your phones if you would like, but follow along. We'll have it up on the screen too. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Blessed are you, Lord, 
great God. Blessed are you, eternal God, in times past and today. You've spoken in the past, and your people have been guided through all kinds of wildernesses and supported in all kinds of trouble. Speak to us today in the midst of our own confusion. Speak to us through your law and give us a sense of order and direction. Speak to us through your gospel. Transform us, Lord, by your grace. Renew us in hope. For yours is the future even more than the past. Amen. To introduce you to the book of Galatians, I want to give you three important concepts that we'll talk about, and then we'll get into the text. They're connected to the text, but these are kind of like overarching concepts that you really want to be familiar with in order to understand what Paul is doing. The first is the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of man. So two kingdoms. That's an important concept. The second is justification by faith versus justification by works, which then leads to condemnation. So justification and condemnation. And then finally, sanctification by grace versus self-improvement. Sanctification by the Spirit and sanctification or attempted sanctification by the flesh. Those are three important concepts to really understand, to have a handle on the book. Paul jumps right into it. And he does this because he is greatly concerned for a group of churches that he planted. He was sent by Christ to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And so in going out, he went to Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. And he proclaimed the gospel, the gospel of grace, freedom from sin, reconciliation to God by trusting in Jesus. And these churches are established, and they grow, and they develop, and everything looks good. And then some people come to these churches, and they're like, yeah, the gospel's good. That's a great place to start. But in order to really understand faith and spirituality, in order to really have joy in this life, you also need to follow the law. You need to be circumcised. You need to hold to the old covenant. And as they were doing this, they started attacking Paul. Because the futility of attacking his message was apparent to them. And so they started kind of attacking Paul and showing all of the people in these churches, like, you know, Paul, he was one of us. But then he had this like weird experience and he went away and we don't really know who got a hold of him, but they clearly have like changed his mind and now he's deceived. And so listen to us. You can't trust what Paul says. And so Paul, he's saying no. Right away, basically the first thing he says, I am not from man. God has sent me. The message I have to you is from him. It's not from any man. No one has corrupted this. No one has changed my mind 
except for God. And so he's starting to develop this idea of a kingdom of man that is from man and is influenced by man and a kingdom of God that is from God. And he identifies himself as an apostle from God. An apostle means one who is sent. And the apostles had a very unique and special calling. Their calling was to interact with Jesus, many of them through his life and his ministry as he walked the earth, and then especially after he was raised again from the dead and walked among them and taught them and gave specific instructions to all of the apostles about what he wanted them to do. And he sent them into the world with that message. Paul is one of them. Now, he didn't, it wasn't just Jesus saying, hey, this is what I want, the information that I want you to convey. He also poured out his spirit on the apostles. He empowered them. He gave them a special spiritual authority. That means when an apostle wrote a letter to a church and sent it to them, yes, it's the apostle's thoughts. It's his writing. It's his words. But more fundamentally, they are God's words. Apostles had that type of authority. They were empowered by God to be the voice of God for the creation of the church. I'm not an apostle, in case you were wondering. There are no more apostles. We have the testimony of the apostles, the word. And so what Paul's doing is he's calling this church back to that message, back to the authority that was given to the apostles by Jesus himself. And he confirms that authority by saying, and all the brothers who are with me, you know these people. You've seen them. You've seen their lives. Trust us. He's pleading with these churches. Come back to what's good and trustworthy. Don't go into slavery. So the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man, that's going to show up. Jesus came, and that was his primary message. The kingdom of God is here and will come. And so Jesus, in his ministry, he brings a kingdom. And then you could say that the rest of the New Testament, and even extending that into today, is kind of like wrestling and stumbling through what that means for people. What does it mean for us that the kingdom of God is here? Like, have you ever thought about that? A kingdom from not from this world, not from men, but a kingdom of God is here today? It's a big question. It's confusing, really confusing. Because if the kingdom of God is here, and what we know about God is that he's perfect, he's holy, he's pure, and if he is ruling his kingdom with perfection and righteousness and power, then all imperfections are cast out of his kingdom. And so the question that the kingdom of God being here and us being here would raise is how are any of us still alive? How are any of us allowed to be in this kingdom if God is reigning over it? Because he's a God of perfection. That question leads to the second theme, which is justification. 
Justification by faith. The answer to that question, what right do you have to be here, is what theologians and the apostles describe as your justification. How do you justify yourself in the presence of a holy God? How can you claim to be a citizen of his kingdom? And the big idea of the gospel, at the very core of the gospel, is the idea that your justification does not rest in what you do. You don't go to God and say, here are the good things I've done for you because they're filthy, they're corrupt, they're imperfect, they're impure. On the basis of that type of justification, you would receive judgment and condemnation. You would come before a holy God and realize the extent of your imperfections. And so the whole good part of the good news of the gospel is that we can come before God and say, not me. Look at the one you sent for me. That is your justification. And you trust in that. And when that happens, the righteous, perfect judge of the kingdom of God says, you are righteous. You belong here. You are justified to be in my kingdom. The power of that, the freedom that that produces, it's hard for us to even understand, right? But imagine if you were lost at sea and you had been lost at sea for a long time and there is no hope of you ever being able to get to shore on your own power. You're on a log, and you're just subject to the currents. And all of a sudden, a helicopter appears out of nowhere, and someone else comes down and pulls you out. And someone else flies you to shore in safety. And someone else gives you an IV that nurses you back to health. That's what we're talking about. That is what salvation looks like. That's what it means to be justified. And that happening on the basis of what Jesus has done, not what we do. And then third, and very closely connected to that, is this idea of sanctification also by grace or by the Spirit versus sanctification by the flesh or self-improvement. And this comes at the very end of the book, so you're going to wait a long time for us to get there. But it does come. And what Paul says is that when you have been set free in that way, when you have been saved in that way, when you have been justified in that way, you start living differently because you are free. And your freedom has come with a spirit. You have been given a gift The gift of the Spirit is within you, and the Spirit sanctifies you and helps you walk according to your freedom. So you see, it's not Jesus has justified you, and now you sanctify yourself. It's not that the gospel has started your journey, but now you perfect yourself. It's a gift 
of grace to continually be led and transformed more into sons and daughters of God, heirs of the kingdom. And so we're going to see practically what that looks like and how it might be different than what we understand. So those three concepts, that's the introduction. We're going to get into the text now quickly. (laughs) There's a lot in here to cover, and you'll see the overlapping themes even in the introduction because Paul is setting them up to understand this. So here's how the rest of these verses go. Verses 3, 4, and 5. It's grace and peace, freedom and glory. Grace and peace, freedom and glory. He says, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is unmerited favor. It's God showing you favor, giving you things that are unmerited, that you don't deserve, you haven't earned them. In fact, what he's about to say, that it is Jesus who has given himself for your sins, that's actually demerited favor. You deserve the exact opposite. You didn't deserve to be given a God who came and lived among you and died for you. You deserved a judge to come and condemn you. And so grace has this humility that is attached to it because it's something that we only receive. You never earn it. You can't work for it. You can't become deserving for it. And the moment that you try to say, okay, because God saw in me some good, that's why he did that, you're starting to now, again, root your justification in who you are, in what you can do. But grace says no. All you did was receive. That's all you did. It's really uncomfortable. That is the uncomfortable part of Galatians. It's like, you can't earn it. It is God's gift to you. You can't work it off. You're forever indebted to your Savior. There is no moving past it once you've heard it and received it. It's everything. So grace is unmerited favor, and the grace that comes to us specifically is the gospel message, and he follows that, right? He gives us a little brief synopsis of the gospel right here in verse 4, Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. Jesus Christ giving himself for your sins. He gave himself, what? For your sins. Why did he give himself? Because you sinned. Because of your debt, he paid it off. So that is the grace that comes to us. It's the gospel message. That's what we proclaim. That's not something that you need to do. That's not a way to get to know God. That is how God has already saved you. It's news. It's a message. It's an announcement. (laughs) And it's good news. So grace comes through hearing the gospel message, and so does peace, grace and peace. Peace is fullness, it's satisfaction, it's contentment, it's harmony. It's not just the absence of conflict, but it's a settledness. 
It's being completely and utterly satisfied. Peace. Now, if grace is difficult, peace is probably even worse. Because I know for me, I don't feel at peace. I don't feel full. I don't feel content. I'm restless. I worry sometimes. Hey, God, do you see this? Why aren't you doing more? Don't you see this area that I need, that I lack? Why aren't you giving more? I start to question God in the events of life as they unfold. I think we all do this. We all start to wonder, is he missing something? Am I being overlooked? And we live in restlessness. But here's how the gospel produces peace. The peace that we receive comes when we hear and believe the gospel. Right? Now, that does happen at a point in time for the first time. But that cannot be the only time. If you stop hearing and believing the gospel, then you will never have peace, friend. You'll be a bottomless pit of longing. And that is what slavery looks like. That's what bondage is. And so peace comes through hearing and believing this gospel message. Because when you believe that Jesus has come and paid the price for your sins, that is the reality. That is the truth that controls how you see everything else. That will satisfy your soul. That will take you. I'm telling you, this is what happens when the Spirit helps you trust and hear the gospel. You will go from being angry because you didn't get something that you wanted and your heart rate races and you're shaking. And then you'll hear the gospel as it comes to you. Remember, Jesus gave himself for you, a sinner heart rate goes down. This is the power of the gospel. When you trust it, when you hear it and believe it, it gives you peace. It gives you fullness. It gives you contentment. And that leads to freedom. The very next part of this introduction is all about freedom. He gave himself for our sins. Amazing. Why did he give, us, give himself for our sins? To deliver us from the present evil age. To deliver us, to set us free. To free us from the present evil age. And this is where, again, he's kind of picking up on this idea of there's a kingdom of God and a kingdom of man. The kingdom of God is pure and good and holy and comes from heaven, undefiled. The kingdom of man has been corrupted it's been perverted. It's acting in rebellion. It's seeking to twist and corrupt and enslave God's good creation. 
And so the effect of the grace and peace of the gospel is deliverance from this present evil age. And it's deliverance from being completely helpless to the spiritual forces that want to destroy you. And it also delivers you from your own will, your own heart that has been corrupted by the present evil age. And all of a sudden, you're given freedom to hear God, to respond to God, to turn from sin, to put sin to death. As we heard in the catechism, to start to hate it with a new heart, a heart of flesh that is open and responsive to the word, you begin to hate that, to put it to death, and to live and to blossom into a new creation. A creation that is planted in the kingdom. So humans align with the forces of evil, and that's resulted in bondage. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned and listened to Satan rather than God, the human will are the power seat of our decision-making and everything that we do was enslaved to Satan, to serve him. And there's a ton of deception in that because we are deceived into thinking that we are actually serving ourselves. We think that we're actually exercising our will to look out for number one. Like, I need to make this decision for me and for my good. I need to decide what I need to do. Right? It's an exercise of will. But what's hidden is that that is not serving yourself. That ultimately will lead you to destruction because you've been lied to, just like Adam and Eve have been lied to. And the one who lies to you wants to kill you and wants to destroy you. And that is what being captive to the present evil age feels like. Now, I think for a lot of us, and I put myself into this category, when we think about being delivered from the present evil age, we think about that in the future tense. We're like waiting for that deliverance, right? And there's an aspect of that that's true. We are waiting for Jesus to come back. But that's not all there is. This is also a present deliverance. And it's very similar to how we are filled with grace and peace when we hear and trust the gospel message. We are set free because we have freedom. When you have justification, when you have God's pronouncement of you as righteous, not because you're righteous, because Christ is righteous and he's counting it to you. When you believe that, you're set free. You're set free. You don't need to look out for yourself anymore. You have the most amazing thing that you could possibly have. You don't need to set your mind, your will on the things of the earth because you have the things from heaven. 
Here's the freedom. And I know this is extreme. This is an extreme letter. So forgive me. But there will come a time for every single person in this room when you're on your deathbed, when you cannot do anything, you cannot think anything, nothing that you have done in your life will be of any good to you. There will come a time in your life where you will go somewhere where not even your best friend or your spouse can follow. There will come a time in your life where you are completely and utterly alone. No one else with you. And you will realize, I am about to enter the presence of God. I am about to receive the judgment that is coming from a good and righteous king on my life. Now, outside of Christ, that is such a crippling weight that we run from it. We suppress it. We ignore it. We push it aside. We don't want to deal with it. We will find all kinds of ways to not have to deal with that reality that governs all of human existence. But inside of Christ, you can think about that moment and you can say, actually, pastor, I'm not alone. My Savior is with me there. And he is the one who goes into the judgment. And I know this because I have heard and I have believed this message, this good news. Now, when you believe that, it will set you free. You'll be able to live from it. Not to earn it, but to respond to it. To live your life in accordance to it, because it's the best thing that you could ever imagine. And it's eternal, because Jesus is coming back. To make that reality right now. To fully banish the kingdom of man, the presence of evil, from his creation. And that brings us to glory. The last part of this introduction. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Those who have received the grace and peace of the gospel bring glory to God alone because he is the one who's done it. He is the one who's promised it. He is the one who's given it. He is the one who has allowed you to receive it, to persevere in it, to continue believing it. He is the one who has done everything, and so you glorify him. You speak of him in that way. The gospel, in a way that nothing else can do, magnifies the glory and the goodness of God. And this is, we've talked about this a couple times in the last few weeks. This is why, in terms of like the cosmic audience, that the Bible says we have in our salvation and in our lives. This is why angels and spiritual beings, beings that are way more powerful than we are, they long to look in and understand this. 
because it's showing off the glory and goodness of God. He is showing off to the world himself. He is revealing himself as good and merciful to undeserving, wretched, poor, broken people. And he's redeeming them. And he's renewing them. And he's making them whole. And he's establishing them as heirs of his kingdom forever. And it brings him glory. So think about this. It's easy for people who have been in a church for a long time, for myself, for people who think that they understand the gospel to kind of sleepwalk, to take it for granted. And so we're going to be trying to uncover some of that. We're going to be trying to break through some of the calluses that just kind of existing in a world where you take your faith for granted can produce. And one of the ways here this morning that I want you to think about this, I want you to think, whose glory are you living for? Whose glory are you living for? Is it your glory or God's alone? Only one. If you're living for even like 99%, you think, God's glory, but 1% of me needs a little recognition. 1% of me needs my boss to say, hey, you are employee of the month. 1% of me needs my spouse to say, hey, you are a great spouse, needs it, longs for it. And then when you get it, you're like, yeah, I am. I'm a good spouse. You're lucky to have me, in fact. You need to say it more often. You're in bondage. You're living for your glory, and the 1% wants to become 20, wants to become 50, wants to become 100. And the weight of living for your own glory, the weight of living for a glory that you earn will crush you. And you'll exist in bitterness and you'll have an appetite that will never be quenched. But as you're able to see these areas, to say, you know what? I have no idea what the gospel means when it comes to my work life. Lord, help me. You are going to see the glory of God show up. When you start to think about, man, I have never actually applied the gospel or heard it and believed it as it relates to my relationships, you're going to glorify God as he sets you free. Your finances, your recreation, fill in the blank. It's for all of life. We're going to enter into that. And the hope is is that we will all experience more and growing freedom as we see how we have received grace and peace. We've been delivered from death into life and are walking as free people and that we're able to give God glory because he is the one who has set us free.